Uh, today we have uh, a guest preacher, and we'll actually have uh, him for the next several weeks. So he's going to be with us today and three more uh, to follow. Uh, the Reverend Clint Wilkie is uh, no stranger to this church. Um, he, he is a friend. He's been around these parts before, and uh, we are uh, thrilled to have him with us. Clint uh, can um, potentially tell you more about what he's got going right now, but they're recently in the midst of a transition, uh, he and his family as well, uh, as he has taken a role as the ministry coordinator uh, within our denomination to help uh, plant churches all across uh, this region. And so, Clint, we are grateful for your presence here with us today. Look forward to hearing God's word uh, delivered through you. Thanks, yeah, thank you, Justin, very much. It's great to be with you this morning. I have fond memories of, um, well, difficult but beautiful memories of doing my first funeral in this church long ago when I was a campus minister at Southern Miss. You had a Memphian, uh, family Memphian die and, and died in Katrina at Southern Miss. And I came up to do the funeral and then I've had the privilege to plant here in Hernando, Mississippi in this area for the last 10 and a half years. And now I've taken the role as the Mid-South Church Plant uh, ministry coordinator, catalyst director. We have seven active church plants taking place. I'm speaking with eight different men right now about future planting. And uh, we have, by the grace of God, in the last five years, planted 10 to 12 churches together. And you, my friends in Christ, have been a part of that. You've partnered with us and are partnering with us in 2019 so that we can accomplish this work. A quick statistic for you is that there's 4,000 churches every year of all stripes planted across the U.S., And of those 4,000, 3,700, not of those particular ones, but 3,700 churches shut down every single year as well. A net gain of maybe 300. The the PCA contributes about 30 to 40 net gain in that window as we plant churches. And now that is not even considering the population growth of the greater Memphis area or the many regions that the Mid-South represents from South Louisiana all the way here to Memphis, Tennessee. We represent an area where it needs churches to be planted for the next generation just to keep up with the population growth. So thank you for partnering with the Mid-South Church Planting Network and my work as the new coordinator uh, as I seek to find future church planters. My wife, Kathy, and my youngest, Zach, are here this morning, and we are grateful to worship God with you today. Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 or turn in your bulletin to that text, Luke 19. We're going to look at Verses 1 to 10, that's the story of Zacchaeus. So please turn with me in your Bibles to there. This morning, uh, we are going to, we're going to have Zacchaeus for the next several weeks give us a window into the hope and the power of the gospel. That this morning, the title of the text is Eyes Looking for a Kingdom. Eyes Looking for a Kingdom. And then we'll look next week as Zacchaeus gets to dine with the Lord Jesus and how his heart is overwhelmed with the love and mercy of Christ. And then that final week after Mother's Day, there'll be a Mother's Day sermon in 1 Samuel, but after that, we will look at the final chapter of this text, really, and consider the generosity of Zacchaeus, his hands moving forward. So we're looking, thinking about his eyes, his heart, and his hands, that we would have a perspective like Zacchaeus. And so as we come to this text this morning, we see a man who is changed by Christ. He's changed by the gospel, right? He is literally a person who comes to Christ, or we might say as we consider this text, Christ comes to him and he finds the good news of the gospel and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, not out somewhere out there, 
but in his very own home, in conversations and in eating and dining with this Savior named Jesus. So let's take up God's Word and read those ten verses together this morning of Luke's Gospel. Luke writes, He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking, uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the religious leaders of the day, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the very word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that he would bless this word to us. Father, we thank you that you have pointed us once again to the beauty and the wonder of your grace. That we do believe that the gospel of grace can change anyone at any time and in any place. That's what we testify. That's what we've confessed We pray that you would help us to believe that again this morning, not just for the lives of others out there, but we would believe that for our own lives this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory and for our good. Amen. We really do need to ask the question, can can anyone really change, right? Can anyone really change in our cynical and kind of comedic lives that we live as we watch sitcom after sitcom, don't we become a little cynical that anyone can change? And if we're honest and we're truthful, does anyone really want to change, right? That's the next best question. I don't even think I want to change. I like just who I am. Uh, And yet this text tells us that a man was changed from the inside out and the effect of that rippled through his community. It was a a, a cataclysmic event in his life that had changed the community in which he lived. And so we do believe that the grace of the gospel, as I've even prayed, can change us. And indeed does change us because of the glory of Jesus in our midst. See, the truth for all of us is just like Zacchaeus, we can change. We can change. We can change by God's grace alone and God's grace so powerful and free and unmerited, changes people, changes our value systems, it changes our priorities, it changes the way we understand the Christian life. The question is, are we still asking God to change us, right? That's the question. Will you change me? Will you mold me? Will you remake me? And I think Zacchaeus, we sang it in Bible school back in the days, or maybe you did. I didn't grow up going to church or a Bible school, but Zacchaeus, the wee little man, or we sing the song, but here's a man, lowly in stature, rich in wealth, and yet lost as can be. 
And when he meets the grace of the gospel, he meets something about the face of God in Jesus. He meets the generosity of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Luke places the story of Zacchaeus in a very critical place in his gospel that allows us to focus on the nature of God's kingdom and how God's generosity is shown to those who are spiritually, spiritually, and physically poor. This is what we see unfolded in the text. And verse 10 is sort of the footline or the liner notes of all of what's going on from chapters 13 to 17 prior to this text, prior to this chapter, uh, is that God is seeking to save the lost. That's what the text says. For the Son of Man, the King, King Jesus, came to seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save the lost. So Luke reveals a kingdom that does two things for us if we're going to experience the grace of God. The kingdom of God does two things, and here they are. The kingdom of God exposes the lost. It exposes the lostness or the unbelief in our own hearts, but exposes the lost in our world. That's the first thing that the kingdom of God does that we see in the life of Zacchaeus. The second thing we'll look at this morning as the kingdom of God shows us, points us to, right? It shows us and points us to a God who pursues the lost. He doesn't just expose us, he pursues us. And the reason why he exposes us is so that he proves the reality of the gospel at work, then he's pursuing us as he reveals our need of him. So let's look at this text and let's look at the op- a few opening verses, how God's kingdom exposes the lost. Notice that God's kingdom exposes a lost city. You, you, if you read the text and followed along, you, you heard about this, this Jesus passing through Jericho, picking up on it already happened in chapter 18 as well. He had been passing through the area of Jericho, that great ancient city long ago, a place where the kingdom of God was demonstrated in power and wonder and might. It was the the day of the promised land. It was the day of entering in when the Israelites would come and inhabit the long-expected promised land. 430 years the people of God waited to enter into the promised land. And first on the day of, of real judgment and work was dealing with Jericho and the giant walls and the giant people of Jericho. Right? And then God used this miraculous moment of his people worshiping, walking around Jericho, singing and praising God, shouting, and the walls came tumbling down, we learn, right? And the people begin to inherit the promises that had been made to their forefathers for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you need to know that Jericho didn't just stop that day, the day in which the Israelites took it. Archaeologists tell us there have been 20 ancient cities, cities that have been a part of Jericho over the course in life of its existence before Jesus in Jerusalem comes and passes through Jericho. Why? Who cares about Jericho? Why care about Jericho? Because Jericho was a mighty and powerful city, just like Rome is over the people of God at this moment in time in, in redemptive history. But you see, Jericho was under the rubble of many other ruins. And it's a reminder to us all, right? That we are not to put our confidences in princes or chariots or cities of great power. You should not put your hope in anything called, let's make America great again, right? Because the greatness of God's kingdom is the hope for all those who are lost. 
And this is a helpful reminder as we, we pass through just a geogra- geography lesson that God has been working his kingdom for hundreds of years and he's working his kingdom now into our lives to reveal that he is the king and there will be no other king besides him. You know, the good news about the kingdom of God is that he will not share his glory with another. And the bad news of the kingdom of God is that he will not share his glory with another. He is the king. And there's also good news going on because something new happens in Jericho. A man in chapter 18 receives sight for the first time. Can you imagine that? A man blind, not able to see, not only able to hear, to be dependent upon all kinds of people. And when Jesus comes by, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Luke chapter 18, verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sign and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, the text says, when they saw it, gave praise to God. See, God was doing something new. Even in the ancient ruins of many cities gone by and the walls of Jericho that came down. God's kingdom exposes a lost city and shows that he's done things in the past, he's doing things in the present. But also, furthermore, God's kingdom exposes a lost people. He exposes our self-reliance, our trust in ourselves. It's interesting, right? Zacchaeus' name means righteous one, a righteous man. And he was far from righteous at any given point. To even have his name Zacchaeus mentioned amongst the Jewish people of Jesus' times, they would have laughed at just hearing his name because of what his, what his reputation had already been. You see, he was a man who had been bitted out. He was a tax collector. He was used by Rome to gather up the taxes. And they didn't care how they got their taxes. They just had a certain amount of taxes they had to have. And then Zacchaeus, whatever you want to charge on top of that, you can do it. We could care less. So can you imagine the kind of extortion that Zacchaeus held over the people of God? The very promised nation of Israel with the Roman government on his side? He was hated at every point and in every turn of his life and existence. He was hated and mocked. So the name Zacchaeus is almost laughable. We know that Zacchaeus is rich. No doubt he was cocky and ruthless to those church-going folks in Jerusalem. But the credentials of Zacchaeus expose the real poverty he had before the kingdom of God, does it not? There is only one who is righteous. He is not the righteous one. We've confessed that even as we have sung, holy, holy, holy. And the good news, I think, of this text and of thinking about Zacchaeus and kind of the, the scurrilous rascal that he really is, a man we would all hate if we actually had to live and work with him, who would be extorting us all day long, is that thankfully, God's kingdom dismisses our pretense and gazes right through our hearts to see them as they actually are, to expose one thing, that we have great spiritual poverty, great need of the righteousness of God. Early on as a church planter, I had the privilege of of networking and meeting tons of people. I feel like I'm church planting all over again with church planters and their friends and family and all kinds of other folks. But in those early days when I gained at least 30 pounds, eating with anybody who would want to meet and talk about a planted church in Hernando, you met all kinds of people. And those kinds of people had a certain way of asking questions. What kind of church are you going to be? How is your worship style going to be? Who are you, by the way? And, you know, if I, if I was to come to your church, I would really like to see the church 
be like this or be like that. And I'd say to myself, you know, this probably is not going to be the church that you want to be a part of. Many of those lunches were like, I don't think this is the kind of church you're looking for. I actually thought many of those people were arrogant and they were presumptuous and they were wasting my time. I really thought that. It's an open confession mic this morning here at Grace Community. And I didn't want to meet with some of those people again, but I realized even from a text like this that God does love rich people. And by the way, statistically speaking, all of us are very, very wealthy people. Materially speaking, how much more spiritually we can go on and on and on. But materially, we're very rich people. But see, God can see through all that pretense that riches bring, that pretense of riches and pretense of title bring. And like Zacchaeus, God shows that he is merciful to people like you and me, that we are the people who most need to experience the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And we speak about the kingdom of God, we're speaking about his rule, his authority, his power. We're speaking of eternal things breaking in to our temporal world and the ways in which we live our lives. God is breaking in. And it's a reminder It's a reminder to be sure that we don't attach ourselves to the other kingdoms of this world, to the making of our reputations, to the sanctity or the the way in which we we give our money uh, to build up our wealth. God could care less about that. He only cares about those who will worship him and enjoy and experience the kingdom which he has brought to them. And that's why we need to remember that the kingdom of God belongs to Christ and we are called to be servants of that kingdom. And when we speak of the church, it's very helpful if you don't say this is your church. I know what we mean by that, but this is Jesus' church. It belongs to the king. And we are to bow the knee and submit to him and be foot washers of each other because we serve a great king whose kingdom is without end. The simple question this morning for us is, what are you looking for today? What are you looking for? You've already, there's a beautiful prayer we had before we came to worship this morning, but we're already thinking about things. You've already been distracted, some of you, uh, about things that are coming this week. You're, You're having a hard time worshiping here this morning. Just be honest. You're already thinking about what's the next thing. But what do you think if you got that next thing? Or if you could work out that situation? That family problem, that business problem, that marriage problem. If I could just, if I could just fix that, would you be satisfied? Would you really be comforted if you could just fix that one thing? You see, Zacchaeus was a man who needed a complete renovation. It wasn't just one thing that was wrong with him. He was lost without hope, without God. And so if you found that one thing, would, and you could possess it, would you be satisfied? We all have eyes. They all are looking forward and looking out. Those of us who can actually see, some of us may not be able to. But we all have eyes of faith, and they're all looking to something. The question this morning is, what is that something? Is it Christ? Is it his kingdom? Or is it simply the things in this world that we are trying to hold on to so desperately? That if we had that one thing, and by the way, how many times have you received that one thing a thousand times over? And when you got that one thing, you, you didn't even thank God. You kept on looking for the next thing. 
Right? You begged and pleaded God for months to help you with one area, one sickness, one struggle. And then he answered that prayer and you forgot to even thank him and started looking for the next thing so that you could be God and that you don't need him as God or his kingdom that is eternal kingdom indeed. See, God's kingdom exposes the lost like Zacchaeus, but it also exposes the unbelief of our own hearts. The second thing I want us to see as well is that God's kingdom pursues the lost. He doesn't just expose us. He also pursues us. Notice that this text in verses three to four, that it is Jesus, it is Zacchaeus who goes seeking to to see Jesus. He had heard all kinds of things about him. The reason why Zacchaeus ran to the streets was because he knew this Jesus was coming by his way. He had heard the stories The reputation had been known throughout the regions. He had been healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And he wanted to meet this man because if this man truly is a king and he has an eternal kingdom, which he surely had heard about before Jesus even walked by him this day, he wanted to meet him and see him and see for himself who he really was. You see, Zacchaeus appears to be seeking and looking for Jesus. Jesus, we see in this text, pursues the lost and rejected of Israel. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save and redeem the lost house of Israel, the Bible tells us. The lost sheep, the lost people. And Zacchaeus heard the good things that were going on and he went to seek Jesus. Now, we we could say he's small in stature. He, he's like the Rudy of Notre Dame, right? Or so he can't just make his way through the pile of the crowds. But the, but many commentators suggest that the reason why he, that he couldn't make it to the side of the street is because people were not going to let him in. <laughs> they hated him. They wanted nothing to do with him. And they surely didn't want to stand by him as they met the man who said he was Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so he climbs up in the sycamore tree for that vantage point to see what he could see as we would sing. He had nothing to lose, everything to gain if he could meet this man named Jesus. But the irony of the text, the irony of what Luke is teaching us and what he records for us is that it wasn't so much Zacchaeus who was seeking Jesus, but Jesus was seeking out Zacchaeus. Jesus was seeking out Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was rich like the rich young ruler in the previous chapter. He was undoubtedly lost and rejected by men in every way socially possible. Can you imagine the shame he had and the role that he had? But this, we see, according to Luke, is a divine appointment. (laughs) Zacchaeus is going to seek him, but in the end we realize that it is actually Zacchaeus, that is Jesus who is seeking out uh, Zacchaeus. It isn't so true in, in, in how God works in our lives. That he's pursuing us in ways we don't even know until he kind of gets us at those gotcha moments to remind us that he's God and we are not. But we do see that unlike the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus appeared to have it all together. The rich young ruler, that is. The rich young ruler seemed to have it all together. He'd kept the law of God. But Zacchaeus was an outsider. He was a traitor. And amazingly, not all rich people are excluded from the kingdom of heaven. But first, Zacchaeus had to feel and see and experience his own name, his title, and that his vocation had failed him utterly. All that he was counting on, all that he possessed meant nothing to him when he came to meet this Savior Jesus, who announced that he was the king 
of the kingdom. And then in that moment, we begin to see that he, he was deeply poor. He was poor both relationally and spiritually before Jesus. And he knew this because of what the rest of the text tells us. Jesus pursues the lost sheep or the lost people of Israel. And lastly, or finally, Jesus' pursuit of the lost is driven by one reality. Why does God pursue anyone at any time? And it's clear from the text, from what goes on in this text. It is is Jesus who pursues him with love. It's God's love that Zacchaeus meets in the face of Jesus. It is this Jesus who is the very love of God, the extension of God the Father to a broken, fallen, and dying world. The love of the Father and the love of the Son. You see, bring us as treasured possessions to himself. We are the lost coins, the lost sheep, the lost sons because of sin. The lost Zacchaeuses who know themselves very well to be lost without hope apart from the love of God. This is why Christ came as the person of God in the flesh. God fully vested himself to redeem his people by an extravagant and an eternal love. You see, the kingdom of God is all about people. We know it's about his glory. We know it's about his power. But why all this glory? Why all this power? Because God desires to have a people. A people that he will demonstrate and show his love to. A people who will receive his love, be changed by his love, be motivated by his love. That their entire lives will be reoriented and continue to change because of God's love for them. It's God's love from beginning to end that the kingdom of God celebrates. He is powerful and almighty. Why does God care about anything? Because he cares about a people who he's made in his own image, who he's redeemed by the blood of his son in love and justice and mercy, we would say. It's an amazing thing to see that in this text that that we are not leftovers like maybe Zacchaeus was counted by those in his community. We're not leftovers. We're not afterthoughts. We're not just a massive people wandering around the earth aimlessly like cattle. We are the people of God who trust in Christ. And because of this reality, we're called sons and daughters of our God. And we are the people, we are the people that God is using to show the grand work of his redemption in the world. Amazingly, the reason why God shows you his love is so that you can show the love of God, the Father, to others as well, right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The two commandments summarizing the entire Bible are being illustrated for us in the life of Zacchaeus. You remember the parable of The one lost sheep, right? That the good shepherd, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go out and find the one lost sheep. And every time I read that parable and think about it, I think about it more like an American evangelistic, maybe businessman, investor kind of guy. And I go, you know, you got 99. Those are really good percentages. You know, it's just one. It's just one guy. It's just one person. It's just one lost sheep. I mean, you got 99. You've done well, my friend. But you see, right? Why does the shepherd leave the 99 for the one? 
Because that's how valuable the 99 are to God himself, right? It leaves the one to prove the value of the 99. When somebody comes to Christ in this place or in your life, it shows you the value of what you believe. And the value of what you believe should put you on mission. It should make you a missional, outward-facing people because there are lost sheep everywhere. Maybe some here this morning, certainly in this community and definitely in this country and absolutely around this world. There are lost people everywhere. And God is calling us into mission to be an outward-facing people who would love people because we have been loved. Our redemption is accomplished by Christ and applied to the lost found in Christ. He is the real shepherd of the sheep. And that is what the Bible is saying about Jesus. He is the good and great shepherd who gathers his sheep to himself. You know, we're all looking for greatness, aren't we? When Tiger Tiger Woods won the Masters again, you saw every child... Every young boy and girl straining around trying to pry through the, give me a high five, give me this, give me that. Can I just see greatness in an old man like Tiger Woods, right? Can I see greatness once again? You've craned your neck at parties or festivals or parades just to see if you could see, right? This very, very important person. I mean, heck, my boys who play Fortnite all the time, they're watching other people play Fortnite who are great. I don't understand it, but there's greatness, even in online gaming. I remember as a young boy living in South Florida, it was 1970-something, and it was Gerald Ford was going to come down A1A, the Ocean Boulevard in Highlands Beach, Florida, where I grew up. And so our whole family kind of rallied out the, the, the hot, it was kind of a cold day in South Florida, hot chocolate, chairs, and all kinds of blankets and things to wait it out to see Gerald Ford, the president of the United States, pass by. That's old school people, right? So as, as Gerald Ford, and this is a day when presidents were literally still sticking their heads and bodies out of their presidential limousines, came driving by at about 55 miles an hour, waving to everyone, and I sort of said, well, that, that was great. There, we, I guess I saw the President of the United States, right? We're all looking, straining, and craning our necks for greatness. But I want you to realize this morning that you've been called to greatness, the greatness of the kingdom of God. We're called to identify in its power and its wonder. You see, the kingdom of God keeps us looking, craning our necks, looking out for the lost, It keeps us going to hard places, planting church, investing in difficult people. There's some difficult people here. I'm sure you have to figure out how to love. And you surely, you know, that's you at least to begin with and other people around you. But we are called to love people, love the lost, love the difficult, because we are looking for the kingdom of God, which comes and is revealed in the servants who believe in Christ's mission in the world. Ask yourself this morning, how have you benefited from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the only way you can be thankful. How has this church ministered to your particular life and needs at some of the hardest, most difficult moments of your life? Why would I ask you to do that? Because the psalmist says, if I were to count my blessings, if I was to number the blessings of the Lord God, who could number them? But you've got to begin counting and celebrating And looking of how God has blessed you in this place if you're going to be a people who go out and celebrate the goodness of God in your community. 
How about others around you? Who have, how, have they, how have you benefited from others around you? How have you served and benefited others in this community and in this church? You see, God's kingdom pursues the lost and he calls us to be on mission because he is making a great name for himself through us. He uses our weakness, our brokenness, even our unbelief to expose the reality that he is the king and his kingdom endures forever and ever and ever. You you may have gone on one of those trips a long time ago where they, they had that they had that device sticking out of a piece of concrete on the end of a metal pole that had these giant binoculars. And as you got out of your car and you were maybe at Niagara Falls or you went to the Grand Canyon, neither a place I've ever been, but I'd love to go. Uh, but if you've gone to some of those places where they have these vistas, these views, you go as a kid and you run up and you, get in the, you, get, you go look through those binoculars and there's just darkness. There's nothing. You're like, Mom, Dad, what's the deal? I can't see anything. We're at a beautiful place and they've obviously put this, for, put this here for a reason. How can I see? Ah, then you find that there's a quarter slot. Feed that thing with quarters. And as soon as you do, and you hear the little timer start ticking, you begin to look out, right? And see the beauty and the wonder of the place you are standing. I want you to think about the story of Zacchaeus. I want you to think about the gospel being like that to you this morning. That God, by his spirit and the power of his word, is dropping coins in so that you can see the greatness and the wonder and the beauty of Christ. And a kingdom that you belong to that will endure forever and ever. So like Zacchaeus, are you looking for Jesus this morning? Are you looking for Jesus? Whether you are old or young, a sincere doubter, or one longing to be devoted to Jesus. Are you looking for Jesus today? For the scriptures tell us that the name of Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. My friends, if you are looking for Jesus, you need to know that Jesus may may very well be looking for you. And if he is, you will find his kingdom And his kingdom will expose you. And his kingdom will pursue you. And you will be able to say, amazing is that grace. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Now, isn't that the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God? Are your eyes looking? Oh, I pray they are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a kingdom that endures forever and ever, and that you've called us to be your kingdom workers, to behold your beauty and your love and your majesty and your power, and that you work through the Zacchaeus of the world, people just like us, scurrilous rascals, people who are of ill or no reputation you use to make a great name. Would you make us more like Jesus? And would you help us today and in the next few weeks as we consider the life of Zacchaeus, that you would make us into people who would celebrate the righteousness of Jesus and his kingdom that endures forever and ever. Because we pray and we beg you in the name of King Jesus. Amen.